I mean, you have to love the lake to do what we do, I think. Man, life doesn't get much better, does it? <laughs> Welcome to Working in the Weeds. I'm Christine Krebs, the Communications Manager out at the Center for Aquatic and Invasive Plants. And as per usual, sitting across the table from me is the Center Director, Dr. Jason Farrell. Hi, Christine. Hey, are you excited for this conversation today? We have two guests. Absolutely. And uh, if anyone noticed, there's been a title change for Christine. She's not the, the uh, Education and Outreach Specialist anymore. So congratulations yes. on the promotion. Thank you. Thank you for trusting me with managing the team now. So we'll see how that goes into the future. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to this conversation today. So over the past several episodes, there's been a theme that has sort of run through what we've talked about, and that has been transparency and involvement. So really getting people that are non-scientists involved in the scientific process so they can see and start to realize where, where data come from and how this process works. And this is citizen science is something that has become more in vogue over the past 10 or 15 years, but it really wasn't back 20 or 30 years ago. And this is where Lake Watch really set the stage. I would say that Florida Lake Watch is sort of the granddaddy of them all, of putting people to work and getting them involved on the lakes that they live on. So today we want to talk about Florida Lake Watch, what it has meant to the state of Florida, and also uh, introduce everyone, if you've never met them, to our two guests, Mark Hoyer and Dr. Gretchen Lescourt. Thanks for having us, Jay. Uh, yeah, I'm the director for just a little while. Pretty soon Gretchen will be taking over the program. Uh, very capable hands. Looking forward to uh, coming in and drinking coffee with Jay on the side. I'm in my retirement. Well, we are here at a transition point, right? So Lake Watch has been under the same and similar leadership for a very long time, but those reins are soon to be passed. So Gretchen, welcome to the University of Florida and welcome to Lake Watch. Hi, Jay. Hi, Christine. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. So why don't we get started with talking a little bit about who these people are, and then we'll talk about the program. So, Mark, would you uh, start with kind of telling us what is your background and what brought you to Lake Watch? Uh, as a youngster, everybody in my family, every relative was always a fisher and a hunter. So I was always interested in outdoors. Uh, I told my mom I was going to be a fisheries biologist when I was about six. And so here I am today. So fisheries, not a fireman, nothing, not a veterinarian, nothing. a fisheries biologist, like all your other friends in the neighborhood. That's right? correct. Correct. I, I did a little stint trying to play baseball, but it's more fun being a biologist. Uh, then uh, decided I wanted to go to college and learn from the best. And Ken Carlander at the time was the best fisheries biologist in the country. He was at Iowa State University. So I toted myself to Iowa State, worked a year, got residency. And uh, then got a miraculous instant call for a master's program in Missouri because uh, the grant was there. The person who was supposed to do it couldn't do it. And so I graduated and three days later was sampling in Missouri. Uh, after that, uh, Dr. Canfield, who was one of my mentors at Iowa State University, uh, he had already been hired down for the Center for Aquatic and Invasive Plants. It was Center for Aquatic Weeds at the time. 1979, I believe. And so he came down, and after I graduated in Missouri, 
uh, some kind of way he got me down here with Dr. Hal Schramm to do fisheries work. Uh, and then after that, uh, we got a grant together. And uh, I can go on about the Lake Watch program, how it started if you want, but we really got heavy into research in uh, exotic plants, hydrilla, especially a five-year program with then the Department of Natural Resources to determine uh, what was a good amount of plants in the lake for what we would call a natural fish population, because they were trying to figure out how much to manage. Uh, the initial controls strategies were coming out at the time, heavy on fluoridone. Uh, and so we sampled lakes across a spectrum of productivity and a spectrum of aquatic plants abundances and uh, came up with some recommendations at the time. So the fisheries biology part was uh, really what got you started down Correct. here in Florida. Correct. It was my interest in fish and aquatic birds. And then all of a sudden, and I had a core background in limnology too. Well, that is outstanding. You know, it, it's funny how uh, the biology brings people in and then the diversity of Florida is what keeps them here so often. So, Gretchen, uh, you are fairly new to the state. You've been here uh, how many months now? Two months. I moved here in April from Canada. So, yeah, it's really hot here. <laughs> so, the first summer in Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are recording, is. for those of you listening, June 2023, and it's about 103 outside right now. So. <laughs> Toasty. Yeah, but the good news is it only feels like 120. So it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's actually cooler than it seems. Well, so Gretchen, what brought you from Canada to the University of Florida? Yeah, my story is really kind of a, a love letter to lakes. Uh, it's kind of fun to tell. I grew up on the coast. Coastal Maine is home to me. And I always thought I'd be a marine biologist, um, really interested in the ocean. Um, I crossed the border into Canada because school was cheaper. Uh, and I studied marine biology, uh, intertidal biology to be specific. And after that, I was looking for graduate work, um, again, thinking I would keep going on the marine side of things. Uh, but I found a really wonderful mentor who had an awesome project on lakes in the high Arctic. So I thought, well, it's not ocean, but going to the Arctic would be pretty cool. So I headed all the way up to Resolute Nunavut, and I lived there for two summers um, and worked really closely with an Inuit family to sample a bunch of high Arctic lakes. And I was studying limnology and also how pollutants like PFAS and mercury got up in the, into these really remote, pristine systems. And I just fell in love with those lakes and that ecosystem. And I also loved working with the community and working with the family and hearing their experiences and getting their input while I was doing the science and really learning how to be a scientist. So I would say community perspectives are in my uh, scientific DNA, if you will. So, uh, so you've been tying science and stakeholder involvement and engagement together since the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, I have. And I'd say I've gotten much better at it. Um, you know, I think there is uh, a lot for us still to learn on how to do that um, more effectively and, and respectfully and things like that. And I've gotten a lot, a lot better at that. Um, but absolutely. And I, I continued some of that work during my PhD. Um, I moved further south in, in Ontario and I studied some boreal lakes for that. And I worked with some northern communities there as well. So define boreal. Yeah, good question. Boreal just means northern. So if we think about the world in chunks, we go from Arctic to boreal to temperate to some subtropical. So we're in or semi-tropical, right? That's what we're in. Subtropical. Subtropical. Thanks. Yeah. So two ecosystems north is boreal. Yeah. So northern boreal lakes is how I would call them then. Yeah. I think that's accurate. <laughs> All right. See, Dr. Farrell and I are learning something today too, y'all. So. <laughs> 
So uh, that work during my PhD, I was working on lakes and with communities, but I also spent a lot of time in a lab. So I learned a lot about some pretty fancy lab equipment, and I worked in labs all across North America. And so when I was looking for a job and, and this job came up, it's pretty well a three-way split between freshwater ecosystems and limnology, lab work, because we do a lot of lab analyses at Lake Watch, um, and community science. So it was a really perfect fit for all the things that I love. Wow. It did really blend everything that you've been working toward for the last several years into one position. Yeah. So we uprooted and moved on down. Perfect fit. It's really great to have you two here and hear that introduction to how you came into this program, because I think Lake Watch is a really great example of what is right about science and what is going right with science. And the reason I say that is Lake Watch started some 30 years ago. Yeah, it started in uh, 1986 in August. So at that time, scientists really spoke to scientists. We published our pointy-headed academic articles in pointy-headed academic journals that no one else really read. And we were discouraged in working with the public because they just didn't understand. But you guys bucked that trend. And you said, you know, we really want to get people involved. So, Mark, can you talk a little bit about how Lake Watch got started and why did it get started? Uh, yeah, I have a really good description of that. And I would love to tell you that Dr. Canfield and myself are brilliant and came up with a great strategy. Well, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> but it wouldn't be true. Well, there you and go. And then my mom would get after me. Uh, but we were heavy into research, like I mentioned in the introduction. We had five years of heavy work with fisheries, uh, aquatic birds, plants, uh, basic limnology, and how all those uh, relate to one another. Uh, at the time, there was a whole bunch of agencies in the state of Florida, DNR, Department of Natural Resources, uh, DEP, Game and Fish, five water management districts, county governments. Uh, if you're a citizen on a lake and try to get information, you get the, the chain switch, you know, call such and such. No, we're not in charge. You called Game and Fish. You call the county. You call this. They weren't getting the information they wanted to be good stakeholders. Uh, while we're doing research, Dan and I have a couple big, big picture limnology questions in the background. I'll get back to that. But uh, the owners uh, or the homeowners on Lake Santa Fe were trying to get that information to be good stewards. And they just couldn't get anybody. They heard about Dr. Canfield, who was a limnologist here at the university, and called him up and said, hey, we'd like some information on your lake. And uh, we were real busy, didn't have biologists at the time to send people to go collect samples. So we said, I'll tell you what, here's a bunch of bottles, take a sample once a month, freeze it, bring it back, we'll analyze it, and we'll sit down and talk to you, tell you about your lake. Didn't believe that they would bring them back, but they never missed a month. Came back, we analyzed it, told them about their trophic state, told them the basic limnology of their, their system, gave them a little bit of information. They said, can we keep sampling? I said, yeah, go ahead. And uh, still doing our research, hadn't really clicked yet. And then all of a sudden, Lake Alto, which is a neighbor and a friend of one of the people on Santa Fe said, hey, we want some of that stuff. So they came and Dan said, well, here's some bottles. And then the light switched on because one of our main questions in the state was, how does the geology in Florida, which is very variable impact the water chemistry of lakes. And we said, hey, we got people taking samples and we don't have to go out and take them. So we needed to cover the whole state. 
So we started actually advertising. And at the time, again, we were doing a lot of research, so we had a lot of extra money to run samples. So it wasn't a funded program. We were just starting to expand our core information on water chemistry in uh, different counties. Got bigger and bigger. Uh, and finally, uh, some of the legislators, the point you made uh, that the whole, what are the stakeholders talking about? They thought this was great now that we're actually educating and getting samples at the same time. Uh, so Representative Bert Harris, uh, uh, George Kirkpatrick, Senator at the time, they said, this is great. So in the whole time, we're already up to a couple hundred lakes now uh, trying to cover the state. Uh, by 93, then all of a sudden they ran a, a statute and we became the Florida Volunteer Monitoring Program Florida Lake Watch. And with that came extra funding. And we soon in the next five years skyrocketed to about a thousand systems, uh, sending news releases to every county so we could answer that question about geology. The more people we got, we didn't have biologists to cover all the, all the handing of bottles and collecting and analyzing. So we needed to get another component and we didn't have a lot of money. So the, what we did was we got graduate students to come and fill that role. So we got into a teaching component. And as we went on longer and longer, we realized Lake Santa Fe still hadn't missed a month of sampling and we're 10 years in. So the next golden question after geology is, are we as a society changing lakes over time by building in the watershed, uh, septic tanks, stormwater management? But the only way to answer that question is to keep these lakes in the program for a long, long time. In order to do that, you have to interact with the volunteers and keep them interested. So then we started having regional meetings, taking face-to-face -face stuff annually with everybody, making extension brochures that we give to answer their questions. We got graduate students involved to answer questions we didn't have the data. And so all of a sudden, at the end of this whole thing, I'd love to say we planned it, but we came up with a research teaching and extension program in a land-grant university. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> well, so it, it sounds like, uh, to use a Bob Ross term, this was a happy little accident, right? It this was. was a good idea that really grew legs and ended up being this significant program. The biggest surprise to me, having worked with many volunteer programs before, is I wasn't really certain that they would stay with it. But the answer to that is they really do want to be good stewards. They want to know, and they want to know if they're causing a problem because they want to fix it because they want that lake for their grandkids, for their next generation, and, and on into that. So uh, that never should have been my worry. Well, one of the things you taught me early on when we first started uh, getting to know each other was what is the most important lake in Florida? And it is? The answer to that is my lake. Exactly. And, and that's how they look at it. And they really do care for them. And uh, the tenacity to sample, in fact, since the beginning, August 16th, 1986, I think Santa Fe's only missed about six months in, in that whole time period. Uh, in fact, Tom Prevost, he was one of the samplers that sampled for over 30 years on Lake Santa Fe. My name is Tom Prevost. After my senior prom, I was over here in Gainesville, Melrose to be specific, to attend the University of Florida. 
So when we come over to Melrose on Lake Santa Fe, it's two acres on, on Melrose Bay. I, and I know Lake Watch was created in 1986. Lake Santa Fe was the first lake. <laughs> uh, we started sampling in 1990, I think. Having been on the lake since 47 was very helpful. We fished all over the lake, and I was given the sample sites. We had one for the bay, one for the big lake, one for the little lake. My memory serves me correct. I'm 84, and my wife's 83. I've been doing, we've been doing it for 33 years now. We've got some new places that we've brought on for various reasons. So we've increased the sampling into the uh, into the boat ramp canal, as well as uh, Melrose Bay, the big lake, and Little Lake. We try to do the sampling in the middle of the day. Now we have a big boat, meaning 24-foot bay boat. We we try to choose like the same timing, and you know the last week of the month. We love the lake. My wife and I uh, we audit each other to make sure the data's right. I'm not saying we're perfect because we're not. <laughs> Nobody is. But you try the best, and uh, that's important. So we do, we've been at all kinds of weather, and we stick together like the Gators. <laughs> all kinds of weather, we've obviously, over 33 years, you can imagine. And we uh, have the opportunity to express that in our data. We freeze the small bottles, and the larger bottles are refrigerated. And we bring them in uh, the next day. Uh, I don't know how many people do it for, for 33 years or not. I mean, you have to l love the lake to do what we do, I think. Man, life doesn't get much better, does it? <laughs>
How do I treat them? How do I grow good ones? Uh, are herbicides bad for the environment? Can I use grass carp? All of those questions come from volunteers. So we've done a, a huge amount of work on aquatic plants. We measure them uh, on individual lakes. But the core, the nutrient stuff is, uh, that's how Department of Environmental Protection through the Clean Water Act, which was 1972, we're on our 50th anniversary now, uh, determines whether a lake is impaired or not. And we, those core variables, phosphorus, nitrogen, chlorophyll, conductivity, and water color are the things they use to determine impairment in our lake. So those are the cores, but we can do a whole lot of additional things. In fact, Gretchen's gonna talk a little bit about metals and stuff. Uh, there's a whole lot of things we can add and we do for individual lakes uh, as we try to get research projects and understand them. So before we move into the future, uh, you're describing a really interesting thing here that has a lot of people. How does it work and what, is it, what does someone do if they want to participate in Lake Watch? Uh, we, on, we have a pretty good website now and on there is a, a button that says, how do I become a volunteer? And if you get on there, uh, we pretty much try to get a commitment for two years. We try, they got to have a boat. They have to be trained. We uh, give them a kit with a secchi disc and uh, bottles and how to use them. We give them a training. Uh, the kits are relatively expensive. It's about $500. So we really want a commitment from somebody. We also, uh, I'll say, have uh, three awesome regional coordinators that do the training. And I got to observe one the other day, and they are really good at this training. They use really um, easy-to-understand language. Um, they talk about folding the chlorophyll filter, and it, it's all green because it has algae on it, right? And they say you make an algae taco, and I really liked that. So the <laughs> training is is really, um, yeah, it was fun to observe, and I think um, anyone could become a volunteer. So if you want to be a volunteer, I've heard before that there's a bit of a waiting list. Is that still the case? It is the case. Uh, budgets are budgets, and we can only run so many samples within a year. So uh, every year we lose some lakes. People retire. They can't do it. So uh, if we can't find a volunteer on that lake, which is still a priority because we're looking for that long-term record, we don't want to get lose lakes. But we have a little flux so that we keep bringing new people in, and it's really uh, a lot of times, too, the older folks now are finding younger folks to fill their position so that that lake has a legacy now. And it's a wonderful thing to see. It's just amazing to me that people stand in line to be a volunteer to collect water samples for science. With their own money. With their own <laughs> money and their own boat. And their own boat. It's amazing. So, Gretchen, you mentioned a minute ago this team that does the training. Talk about this team and what they do and how they make this system work. Yeah, it's it's actually a very impressive well-oiled machine. You know, um, they've had a great captain for the past several decades, and uh, they know what they're doing. So the the way it works is, um, Mark uh, has been directing. Uh, he has three regional coordinators that all cover uh, a certain part of the state and have a group of volunteers. Um, we have drop-off locations where the uh, volunteers will collect the water. They'll freeze it and leave it in a freezer at that collection spot, and then our regional volunteer our coordinators will travel down, pick up those samples. They bring them back. Everything's logged. There's a good record of exactly when the sample was taken, what time it was filtered, those sorts of
sorts of things, which is what DEP needs to know to be able to use the data. So that's uh, logged and tracked. Uh, it's then given to the Lake Watch lab. Uh, the lab manager takes the samples, and then we have a great team in the lab that uh, go through the lab protocol, pour out the samples, and do the various analyses. Once the data is produced, the lab manager takes that, checks it, makes sure everything looks great, um, and then hands it over to one of the regional coordinators. We crunch the numbers um, and enter it into the DEP system and update some of our own databases. So that was my next question is ultimately, where did the data go and who uses them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, the the really impressive source for me is um, is DEP using our data and Department of Environmental Protection in you. Florida. Yes, and uh, that was a large effort done uh, by Mark and and Dan, where they were able to do some lab comparison uh, studies between DEP's uh, state lab facility and our lab. So that means when things were getting started, the De Department of Environmental Protection was maybe a little bit hesitant about having citizens collect the data and then provide the data to scientists and use it, right? So there had to be this sort of accreditation kind of and trust built with the program a little bit? That is correct. Uh, when we got started, water management districts, county governments, the DEP, the state uh, group DNR, everybody was hesitant to use volunteer collected data. Uh, in the early phase of this, in the late 80s, early 90s, we did a comparison study where we sent our volunteer biologist out with the volunteers, collected it, did a comparison, got a one-to-one -one relation, thought that was good, proved to everybody. DEP wasn't satisfied because they said that it was having the fox in the hen house because all the samples were run out of one laboratory, which was ours, which was not accredited. So then uh, in early 2000, I went up to Tallahassee. I got with the water folks up there and I said, let's bury this and we'll go ahead and your biologists go out with mine volunteers. You sample through your accredited lab. We'll sample through our system. Published it, one-to-one -one relation, got off again, and uh, ended up having to do another one because somebody recently during COVID said that comparison studies are no good because we take special care with comparison studies. So I got background on 10 years of data from all water management districts that sampled lakes that we actually have volunteer data for, did a comparison again, and it was one-to-one. -one. And my conclusion there is that we can finally uh, believe the state sampled samples because they matched what Lake Watch did for 30 years. So then after the data was found to be reliable from these citizen scientists, what happens next in the process with the data? It goes to the lab, it gets processed and analyzed, then what? Yeah, so um, we track it long term and then our team uh, travels out to the various regions and has an annual meeting with all of the volunteers. Um, they give some nice sandwiches and, and Mark gives a good presentation about what the new year of data looks like and what's happening in the lake. And he has a great process where he explains if the lake is in uh, sort of where it should be in terms of its nutrient levels or if there's something about the lake that makes us worry it might be impaired. Um, so we, we give the data back. We give the information back to the volunteers um, and hopefully a meaningful way. Um, and that's one of the big ways we try and say thank you for all of their efforts. A good good presentation, a good sandwich really keeps, keeps the volunteers going, right? <laughs> Yeah, and they get to talk about their lake too, which I think is always a fun thing for everyone to, yeah. So Mark, you've talked uh, quite a bit about how Lake Watch got started and all of these other things. 
as director, what has been your primary focus uh, over the past several years? The primary focus has been examining the ecological relationships between nutrient concentrations, fish populations, aquatic plants, uh, aquatic bird populations, how they all interact, and try to utilize that to inform people if you manage a system, these are some of the things that are going to happen to your system. And we've got really good publications. Uh, the graduate students that I mentioned earlier, we've produced probably 45 underneath the Lake Watch umbrella, every one of them answering a question about lake management. That was fostered by the graduate or by the volunteers. So we utilize those to answer the questions, publish the paper, and come up with an extension brochure to answer the question for the volunteers. So it's been a big feedback loop. And one of the big things, I didn't really mention retention, but keeping people, they kind of stay. But when they see how their data fits in with everybody else's and creates these things, they really take ownership. And it really uh, inspires them to continue sampling. That so, they're, they're involved in something bigger than themselves. And that I, I point that out all the time. I show them the publications. And when they see that their data is being used by Denmark to predict climate change models for their lakes, they kind of sit up a little straighter like that and, and say, yeah, that's a good deal. So the six-year-old, I want to be a fisheries biologist, Mark, is still uh, driving to look at all of the system and how does the fisheries biology, how is it ultimately impacted by all of these data? Correct. And we now, the most exciting part, the biggest part now, is are we changing things over time? We finally have the database to do that. And we're getting smarter people with better tools than we have to analyze this stuff. And we're going to be able to really look at it. Uh, there's satellites up there now that can take pictures of land use changes over the last 25 years. And we have the chemistry. Uh, so we're at a stage now. Uh, I'm really excited about evaluating the long-term trends. What are we really doing to lakes? Are urban sites better than uh, agricultural sites or how are we changing things? And, and we have the data now to answer those questions. Well, it's amazing how as time moves forward, science moves forward, and we realize that science is never settled. And there's always new tools, new methods, and new answers that we can uh, we can really find. So with that, Gretchen, as the new director, as the incoming director, so what do you feel that your focus is going to be? Because in some ways, there's a don't mess with success. But then there's, as we just said, there's new tools, there's new opportunities. So where are you seeing Lake Watch going? Absolutely. I would say that um, I mentioned it's a well-oiled machine and I don't want to stop that machine. I don't want to stop the momentum or what's working well, but you have to understand your foundation in order to build on it in the right ways. So that's been my focus since arriving here two months ago is trying to understand why this works so well and what are the parts of it that need to be preserved for future. Um, looking more long-term, my goals have always been to conduct innovative and novel science while addressing questions of local concern. And I, that sounds challenging, but it doesn't have to be. And community science is the link. Doing exactly, you know, this process of 
using community science data or involving citizens uh, in the process, hearing their perspectives, hearing their questions that can really drive research. When you get asked a question about the effects of, let's say, grass carp on lakes, you can do some lit searching to try and find the answer, but you're probably going to hit a wall where you can't answer a specific question, and that's your next research project. Well, so really continuing to use Lake Watch and this huge army of highly motivated, highly skilled volunteers to really drive innovation scientifically and find those answers. That's meaningful for local communities and, and lake management. Yeah, and not just here in Florida, but as Mark gave a few examples, you know, we can apply some of these lessons uh, on a global scale, which is certainly one of my hopes. Well, I think we are... Uh, had a lot of information. This is a, an amazing program. Uh, I'm really glad to see that the University of Florida and IFAS are continuing to be committed to it by continuing to put great people in charge. So as we're kind of heading toward the end of this conversation, uh, what are some takeaways that you would like to uh, leave our listeners about Lake Watch involvement and anything else? I think the program has had a very large impact. It has a big footprint across the state with scientists. Uh, everybody knows where our data is. They capture the data. Uh, one of the big places I like to present things is the Florida Lake Management Society meeting. Uh, a lot of lake folks and about a third of the presentations you'll see there has some Lake Watch data of some sort in it. So we've had a big impact in science uh, and I continually get, you know, volunteers coming and calling us and asking more questions and talking and are excited and they're educating the other people on lakes and uh, where to go. So it's had a big impact and I'm just really proud that it's still going. And, and one other large impact that I forgot to mention, uh, the Florida legislature is still supporting us. We just passed a bill. Uh, so we're going to have a new Lake Watch building in the near future. So the state legislature also sees the value of this stuff by investing in brick and mortar for a brand new facility for the program. You know, it's one thing to say we've made a difference, and it's another thing to have the legislature say, not only have you made a difference, but we're going to help continue to make that a, a reality. And push it to the future. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say that the future is looking really bright. And as a new person in Florida and, and to the program, I'm looking to, to meet people and make connections. So to the volunteers, I've said it once, but I'll say it again. Thank you. And to any new volunteers who might be interested, you know, we look forward to meeting with you and talking with you. To any scientists listening, um, I, I think community science is one of the futures of our, our fields and our work. So anyone who also works in community science, I would love to, to meet you and, and hear about your experiences. And anyone interested in working with community data, please feel free to reach out. Well, and one thing I would like to leave the listeners with is I think what we've heard today is a charge to get involved, right? It can be Lake Watch, but maybe there's not a spot open for you. If there's not, maybe there's a CISMA, a Cooperative Invasive Species Management Group that you can get involved with. If you're passionate about your environment and you really want to make a difference, get involved. Well, if a CISMA isn't the right fit for you, then be involved positively on social media. Share good information that's verifiable. Help the, your friends, help the people around you, your, your colleagues or your family, see that good information and try to inspire them too. So it's one thing to live on a lake. It's another thing to have it be my lake. And it's a third thing to really be involved with that lake. 
thank you both for being here with us today and talking a lot about your program. I learned a lot today and I have already been somewhat familiar with it, so I'm sure our listeners did as well. And for those of you listening, thank you for listening to Working in the Weeds. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, you can email us at caip at ifis.ufl.edu. That's cape at ifis.ufl.edu. Thank you.